and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so pleased you've jumped on for another episode with James and Christy, our first interview with two guests at one time. As you know, I do love to talk, so this one I will try and take a little bit more of a back seat so that you can hear from this inspirational couple. I like to use this introduction as a bit of a roadmap to the episode so you can work out what to expect and also if this is the right episode for you. The structure of this particular episode is quite different. We start with our usual get to know your questions and then we lead into talking about Feel the Magic. This is an Australian charity providing early intervention grief education programs for kids aged 7 to 17 who are experiencing pain and isolation due to the death of a parent, guardian or sibling. They aim to create a world where grieving kids and their families feel supported, empowered and begin to move forwards with their lives. As this interview unfolds, we weave in and out of story, strategies and resources that may be relevant to you. Today is a story about how adversity can create magic. It doesn't take away the pain or the challenge, but when you see the signs and trust your intuition and take a risk, something truly life-changing can occur. This conversation is centered around grief and loss, and we touch briefly on suicide. James lost both his parents at a young age, and Christy lost her brother when she was two years old to leukemia. Throughout this episode, Christy and James sprinkle through strategies and resources they've learned over the years. And to any mum, dad, or carer out there, this may be the episode just for you. So have your pen and paper handy. We'll also add the links to Feel the Magic in the show notes. And on their website, they have this whole section dedicated to helplines and support services for anyone going through grief. I'm currently working on something similar for our Challenges That Change Us Facebook community so that you have 24 access to these services and can find the numbers really easily. Alrighty, I'd like to welcome James and Christy to the show, Challenges That Change Us. Thank you to you both for coming on. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks Thank for, you having for having us. us. So I love to start the podcast with a question just to kind of start thinking about things differently and getting to know you a little bit more. And James, we might start with you. If you were to use an animal to describe yourself, what animal would that be and why? It's funny. We, we Christy and I both discussed this last night and started Googling and I think the personality, <laughs> we, actually, we actually Googled animals' personalities. The personality that best suits me, I would say, is a gorilla. <laughs> A gorilla. A gorilla. Um, a gorilla, yeah. Yeah. What so, are the characteristics of a gorilla that, that draw your attention? Shy. They can be shy, but it can also be out there. I'm pretty calm and relaxed until pushed and prodded and very, very family orientated. So protective. Yeah. Yeah. And calm. And Christy, what animal did you, did you come up with when you were looking? I really struggled with this one, but you know what would be great if we actually did one for each other? But um, I think I'm too 
because I don't fit into one category. I am a bit playful and a bit cheeky and can be a bit out there, so definitely in line with a, with a monkey. And then James says that I'm quite calm and also wise. So, yeah. So I, what animal is that? I, an owl ah. and a monkey. So I'm both. I'm a little bit of both. I can really go, I can be quite introverted but also extroverted at the same time. So, And does that usually display itself like in your professional world and your personal world separately or do both of those characteristics come out in both? I would say both. Where professionally, I'm very, I'm very confident in my role to stand up in, and speak to people. However, in a group of people where I'm not standing out the front speaking, I'm quite introverted. I can be quite mm. shy as well. So until I get to know you and then I'm really cheeky. So, yeah, it does play out in both, I would say. And if you were going to use an animal to describe James, would you use gorilla or would you do something different? Uh, no, he suggested a dog and I really, really kind of, I thought that that was a good one because he, and we came up with a kelp, Kelpie because he's a working dog because he works so hard on things. He's really determined. He's really strong, but he's also like super cuddling. I don't know. Everyone likes him. <laughs> we've start, we started off good on, on a good foot here on the show these guys are husband and wife so <laughs> working together um, yeah. that's right that's right yeah. and I think we're going to get into some of that today James particularly around that hardworking part of you and what that means because our greatest strength is our greatest weakness and I think at times what makes us absolutely brilliant in the world and people are drawn to us for that characteristic that can be what can pull us under sometimes or you know be the reason why we end up in burnout or or why we lie on the couch on a Sunday and think, oh, my God, what have I done? Or I'm fatigued or, yeah. So I know we'll probably get into a bit of that conversation today. Great. So I'd really like to talk to you both about Feel the Magic, which is a foundation that you are the founders of and have created and it's got incredible momentum. But for our listeners, can we just start with actually what it is and where it started and what were the chapters that led you into, you know, starting this foundation? For sure. So, Feel the Magic has been created to support bereaved kids and their families who have specifically lost a parent, sibling or legal guardian. I guess the reason why we started it, both Christy and I have uh, lost personally. Um, Christy will obviously share her Lost experience, but for me, I lost both my parents as a young adult, and I lost my dad at 25 from a from cancer, and then my mum died unexpectedly on my 31st birthday back in 2011. Um, but there's a longer, longer story. But I guess the lead up to that birthday in 2011, I, you know, I had a songwriting business. We just bought a house, a dream, our dream home, to be honest. And all things were pointing in the direction of achieving this ultimate goal of moving into this house. My mother was going to move in with us. She was widowed and we moved her down from Queensland and she was living in Sydney for a little while and we bought this big, beautiful six-bedroom home. And the day we are moving in and on my birthday and within hours of, you know, removals were coming and within hours of picking up the keys, mum dropped dead from a brain aneurysm. Oh, my God. And so as a 31-year-old man, it was, it was shock at first. There was there was anger, but then there was also this this period of I'm I'm an orphan now, and as a male, I kept saying oh, these things happen. You've got to keep you've got to you know toughen up, keep moving forward. This is this this is this is what happens. You know, life people die in life, and 
we tend to get on with it. And and we and I kept reflecting on dad's death. It's almost like when dad died when I was twenty five, I matured. I remember at dad's funeral funeral consoling my mother. I'm an only child, by the way, so I kind of dealt with this alone. Oh my god! Um, I'm just even yeah. listening up to what where you are now. I'm just thinking. I'm so sorry for your loss is the first thing I am thinking because, you know, you're saying that, yes, yes, it happens in life, but not like how you've experienced it, you know? No, no. So it was very hard, but I remember at Dad's funeral, I, I it was almost like I matured over, over in the, within a few-hour period because it was almost like I wanted to take – she didn't need my support, but I wanted to take care of her. I all of a sudden found this drive to succeed in life and I didn't really have that. I was still, you know – still mucking around and not taking life too serious up until 25. So it was almost like dad's passing kicked my butt into action. But when mum's passing passing happened, it was just this confrontation with the worst pain I'd ever dealt with in, or had to deal with in my life. And it was a pain that all the only way I knew how to deal with it was to, to suppress it and run away from it rather than you know owning it and living it and breathing it, so to speak. So – that's, I guess that's that's my part of the story as to why Feel the Magic was was created. Um, but then, you know, I guess Krista will go into how it was created and where the idea was uh, thought of. But for me, the, the, the two-year journey after mum died was probably the hardest two years of my life because it was, you know, again, that anger, frustration, guilt. There was a lot of guilt because, you know, was I a good son? Did I do the right things? Could I have helped her out a lot more? All this sort of stuff that goes through your head and, yeah, it's it's just a sad period in life. It's it's and it's and it's it's compounding. It's it's waves of emotion that just hit you when you least expect it. But what really hurt the most was this this how would I, what would I call it? I don't know if it's financial security, but this this life that I'd created post my dad's death absolutely meant nothing to me over those two years, and it was a real kick to my ego because that's what I worked so hard for to. You know, buy our dream home and live a live a decent life. Had the business, had all this, you know, great stuff. But if it all was taken away to get mum back, I would have done it in a heartbeat. So it was just this, not knowing who I am anymore. Who am I? Who do I, who am I becoming? And how do I even become normal again? Because you don't feel normal when you're in the the midst of grief. And your normal's changed. You know, yeah. I think that's yeah. part of it, isn't it? It's like. It is. Losing someone that's so close to you. And also by the sounds of it, you had such a drive and such a purpose after losing your dad and everything everything wrapped itself around that, you know, and then losing your mum, it's like, but that was what I was working for, you know. We were yeah. getting our house. She was going to live with us. Like it was crystal clear the road you were on and then all of a sudden yeah. in a Boom. heartbeat, in a second, in a phone call, it's all changed. Yeah. Yeah, not, not only that too, it's, you know, your mother dying on your birthday, it's – for the first few years, I, I, I had terrible birthdays. I just – you know, mm. Christy would do her best to, you know, make it a special day. But it was just – you know, you'd, you'd go to bed the night before reasonably excited, but then you'd wake up and you just – I felt angry and I felt ripped mm. off and I felt I didn't want to celebrate. I just wanted to forget it was my birthday. It's a lot better now. But I think I think what prolonged the grief for me was was my ego and, and I guess our, our attitude towards grief that we should be getting over this – why am I, what's wrong with me? I've got to get through this. What, what you know, six months down the track, why aren't I over this? The, you know, the funerals happened, all the affairs are sorted. Why am I still struggling? This is ridiculous. Beating yourself up. And, and what that did eventually was I developed a hatred for everything in my life, apart from mm. Christy, of course. 
<laughs> but I hated everything, hated the business, hated, hate, just, just hated everything around me. And it just, you know, there's a classic situation happened, happened to me at work. I was working on a quote and worked on it for some time. And then the person was coming into the, into the factory to sign off on the quote and come in and wanted to bargain me down over $5. And I just, if I could rip him over the counter and just tore him a new one, I would have. But here's this guy trying to screw me for $5 who has no idea what I was going through. Mm. And he didn't care. No one cares what you're going through. And truth be told, I, I wasn't really looking after myself, so why should others care about me? And so I think that was a bit of a turning point which led me to eventually selling the business and getting out and just starting afresh. And, you know, in hindsight, it was the best, the best thing I've, I've ever done because that business was killing me. I was so unhappy. You know, I, I wouldn't say I was suicidal, but there was times driving on a freeway, you know, I was under the pump, people weren't paying on time, disgruntled customers or happy customers or customers trying to screw you down. And you just think, if this truck drove into me right now, I honestly would not, not care. I'm okay to go right now. You know, you, you just get to that point in your life where enough was enough and I didn't see, I didn't know how to rebuild my life by doing what I was uh, already doing. So there was changes needed, needed to happen. And also you'd lost everyone other than Christy, everyone in your world, you know, like yeah. your mum and your dad and you're an only child. Like I can't even begin to imagine and also by the sounds of it, there wasn't a lot of support out there around the grief. There wasn't a lot of even education or, you no. know, what you can do. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. And it's during the grieving period, you reflect on who was there to support you mm. and and you think the people that should be there to support you weren't, what services were available to me over that time. And I, I use this in the last podcast we were on, but I'll never forget when we went to the hospital where mum passed, they ushered us into this tiny room. We didn't know she had passed, by the way. We just thought she had a mild stroke. And we were ushered into this small room and the neurosurgeon walked in and just said, are you Mr. Thomas? And I said, yep. And he said, sorry, she didn't make it. And he basically done a about face and walked out. So he threw a hand grenade and left us in there. So that was something I reflected on a lot. That was heartless. And I've since found out along my journey with Feel the Magic that that's what they're trained to do because they're not trained to – deal with emotional needs of, of clients or, you know, police officers, they knock on the door and have to give horrible news. So it's hard mm-hmm. for them to sit there and be with that family because it's a terrible moment. So they're just trying to get in and get out. There's that. And then one of the caseworkers gave us a brochure on the day or the day after of, of mum's passing. And funny enough, when we, when we moved to, to Port Macquarie in 2020, it wasn't until I started unpacking that I found that brochure. And that's the first time I actually opened it up since mum died. So I feel like that there was a little bit of thought around supporting those who are grieving. However, it's just all ticking boxes. It's just all about, you know, did you offer them this? Did you offer them that? Great, great. Let's leave it up to them. So, yeah, there's, there's not much. And I, and I guess as a 31-year-old male at the time, it, uh, it, it really highlighted to me I had no idea how to grieve. I had no idea. I just thought you just get on with life and it wasn't happening. And I think that there's so much that you just said in that, even just what you said then, it's like we don't get taught how to grieve, right? Like as children, I mean, we're going to get into this, I'm sure, which is what Feel the Magic is, but, you know, those conversations don't happen until you lose someone and then you're in the midst of it, right? Like you are in the heart of grieving and that's not when we need to learn the strategies because – 
at that time, that's probably the last thing and the furthest thing from your mind. The other thing you said there, James, that really resonated is, and I often talk about this when I'm talking to people that are experiencing grief, is it makes and breaks relationships, you know, and you don't know it's going to look like that. And you spoke about that with the people that you thought would be there. Or sometimes we don't know how we need support. So people will try and show support, but in the way they're showing it isn't how we need to receive it in that moment. So it can almost be unhelpful at that time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and I've seen that over the years with, with many of our Field of Magic families. But for my experience, it was just no one really knew what to say, so they didn't really say anything at all. Yeah. And that's really common, isn't it? It's like Very. It, I think there's almost a silence that can come over when people are unsure. Yeah. And I don't know that that's – I don't know if that's the right thing. Like not talking about the elephant sometimes is harder than actually yeah. naming it and, and just checking in with someone. Yeah, but it comes down to education, right? Like I think if people were more equipped or if grief was a – well, back then if grief was more of a, an accepted topic rather than a, a taboo topic, people would feel more comfortable to be with their friend, in my case, be with their friend or their their loved one and, and just be there because you don't really have to do anything. You know, we have in our mind that we have to fix this person. It's not about fixing them. It's just about being there and showing support. And I think for me, anyone that gave me the opportunity to talk about it, even if it was just memories of mum or or dad or just to share how it was probably more more about sharing stories about mum and what I'm going through, I would have chewed their ear off. <laughs> it was just mm. a way for me to feel lighter. We have that experience too with the families, obviously, that I interact with through Feel the Magic. There's this thing and, you know, we laugh about it because it's just so common where it's a bit of a phenomenon that people cross the road from from families. So I could honestly say that hundreds of families have told me that when they either lose their partner or their, their child, that um, friends that would usually walk past them at the shops, they're in their local community where they know everyone, um, who would usually just say, hey, how are you going? And maybe just keep going. Maybe these are people that they wouldn't usually stop and talk that those people will spot them and cross the road to deliberately not have to walk past them to say hi. And um, I've spoken at depth, in depth with, you know, a lot of the psychologists that I work with and the mental health people. And we we came up with a bit of a theory that it's that everyone's in their fight, flight or freeze moment in that situation. So the person who's getting approached is scared because they don't know what to say and the person who is not grieving doesn't know what to say to the person that is. And so what happens is everyone avoids the situation instead of just saying, hey, I, I don't know what to say, mm. thinking of you. Yes. Hope you're okay. But you know, people will reach out and it's often people who are very emotionally in tuned with themselves. They have the ability to reach out and say, hey, I'm here for you. I can talk to you. I can be there for you. Or people come out of the woodwork that people don't have anything much to do with that say, hey, I can support you uh, because they've obviously been through something similar. But then people that they were really close with before just disappear, just completely disappear. And it's not because they don't care. I I truly believe it's because they just don't know how to deal with the situation, which is really sad because we all go through and experience grief at some stage, it's inevitable that we will. And if we don't have to have that, if 
that doesn't happen to us early in life, we're extremely lucky. But why don't we know how to speak to people who are grieving when it's a human thing that's going to happen? It's an emotion that we all feel and we just don't know how to talk about it. Yeah, and we're we're talking about this grief, which is what actually started Feel the Magic in the first place. You know, James, you've just shared your story that is honestly heartbreaking. Even as I'm listening to it, I want to reach through and give you the biggest cuddle because, you know, grief (laughs) – well, grief is so isolating, right? Mm. For most people yeah. when you go through it and to have grief upon grief upon grief, it just compiles and like that's my response when I hear I'm just like, oh, I, yeah, I just I wish I could change it and I know we can't and I'm just really sorry for what you went through. Mm. Thank you. But it's led to this incredible journey, right? Yep. And do you want to tell us about the journey? Like what what's come from that? So you know, we got a couple of years into the journey after losing James's mum. Obviously, I was his number one support person, but I could just see him dying inside. And especially, I mean, the number one challenge we were having was how much he disliked work and it was really weighing heavy. So, you know, I sort of convinced him to sell his business without a plan, which is a big call. And I think, you know, most people, would not have the courage to do so, uh, but it seems to be the thing that we do is throw ourselves in the deep end. But I just <laughs> said I think you're not going to be able to see clearly until you've moved away, had some time to process, and then, you know, what's new for you. And he had been talking about for a really long time how he would like to help youth and work with children. So we sold the business and we actually went on holiday four weeks to America, which was for us a holiday of a lifetime, something we'd spoken about ever since we'd met when we were 21. How old were you when you went? Were we 32? Yeah, so for a decade you'd been wanting to do this trip. And for a decade we didn't holiday or really go away or do anything like that because we did work really hard to build a future for ourselves. I was already a mum when I met Jane, so I had a a one-and-a-half-year-old when we met, so Pretty instantly we were, you know, trying to build a future for ourselves. So we went on this holiday and we went to Disneyland and after being in Disneyland for a day, there was a moment that we were on a ride. It was the Snow White ride, so it was myself and James and, and my 12-year-old son squished into this tiny little ride and we, James and I both looked at each other at the same time and I said, your mum would have loved this. And he said, mum would have loved this. And I don't know, it was just like a really special moment that I'll never forget because to me it's like it was kind of her push to us, say hey. And then only a couple of hours later he just said to me, hey, what do you think if we, you know, tried to help grieving kids and bring like we raised money to bring them to the happiest place on earth here in Disneyland. I was like, yeah, that's an awesome idea. And then I think we discussed it a few more times, but we we came back from that holiday and just threw ourselves into it. I think so many people told us not to do it because um, starting a not-for-profit is difficult, Uh, but we went ahead and we got registered really quickly. So along the process, I think we just always knew we were on the right track because things just kept happening for us in a positive way. 
And for me, I was a yes, absolutely, this is a great idea because I suffered childhood bereavement. So when I was a young girl, I lost my brother to leukemia. So I knew firsthand what it's like to grow up in a family Mm. who's grieving. How old was your brother? He was six when he died and I was just two. So for me, it's, it's a really complicated grief because I don't have memories of him. I don't have moments in time that I can picture in my mind of us being together. The only thing I have is what people tell me. I obviously relate to photos, but there is always been this feeling inside me that something's missing. And, you know, my mum would say to me, he was my best friend. He was quite sick in the end and I would just sit with him and play with my toys in front of him. He couldn't move. But for a young person who had someone there constantly and then that person was taken away and developmentally I didn't even know or couldn't understand what had happened, I did have a bit of almost like a lifetime of grief that was unresolved. So I don't think I really looked into that and how that impacted me till I was about 20. It was actually when I became a mum was when I started to address that grief. And I think, Christy, similar to what James said, it's almost like I can imagine that some people were like, well, you were really young, you know, like, you know, let's get you on, let's let you live your life. And But there may not have been that recognition and that acknowledgement of losing, even though you were little, you still lost your brother and and your whole family was grieving, yeah. you know, and so you were living in this space of grief. You can't not, right, when, there's been, when you lose someone so young. So even that unspoken experience yeah. as well. Even in my, my own mind, giving me permission to myself to say, hey, this was hard because, mm. you know, people would say to me, oh, do you have brothers and sisters? And I'd say, yeah, just one sister because I would feel this overwhelming embarrassment to say, oh, I have a brother but he died because I wouldn't want them to feel awkward. But also, like, I didn't really give myself permission to be sad about that because I thought I didn't really have a right to. And at what point would you, you know, like it's like when you're four and you realise that he's not there or when you're seven or when you're 12 or like at what point would you actually be able to as a young girl say, oh, hang on, can I grieve now? Like Mm. it it would be so hard, right? Correct, yeah. And I think when I became a parent, that really shifted things in my outlook towards my parents because I I just could not comprehend how they could survive such a tragic event Mm. because you just can't imagine losing a child. Mm -mm. And so but then I started to give myself permission to say, oh, actually this has had a huge impact on me and who I am negatively and positively and you know I've always had an affiliation to want to help children be better with children you know I was a young mum so career path was confusing but then I think one day someone said to me you'd be a great teacher and I thought really (laughs) because I just didn't have much self-confidence and then I thought yeah actually I could do that so yeah I became a teacher because 
I just felt so affiliated to kids and wanting to help them. But I know that's a direct impact of losing my brother. You know, when you think about being a parent and often when you look at trauma, it's like as a parent, we start to see what our childhood experience may have been through Mm. different lens Mm -hmm. and then also experiencing grief. When that happens, it's like not only are you starting to become aware of that and open your mind to it, then it comes knocking on the door again. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And so you said you went into teaching? Yeah. So I've had my own dance studio for years and I think having a dance studio was less about teaching dance and more about creating a safe space for kids to come and do something that makes them feel good. Dance was my safe space growing up. It was pretty much the only activity that I ever did, but it was the one place that I felt I could be who I really was. Yeah, so I wanted to create that exact same space. And then going into school teaching just seemed like the next obvious step for my, one, for my education, but also because I thought going into a school would be really fun (laughs) to be teaching (laughs) every day. Sundays. Sundays, Christy. (laughs) And, you know, obviously when my son started school, I was like, okay, now I've got time, I've got purpose, And, yeah, I went to uni when I was about 27 I started uni. So it took me five years to do my four-year degree because obviously I was working and children and family. But, yeah, I graduated when I was 31. It was about the same time that James's mum died. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for Challenges That Change Us on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. And so how did this all lead into Feel the Magic then? Like we're starting to hear that for both of you there's been complicated grief and you've it's very close to both your hearts. So you you were at Disneyland and you had this conversation, you came back to Australia, but what happened then? It was just nose to the grind and, and make it happen. It was I remember a moment where we were sitting on the lounge and trying to come up with a name. We just thought that having a name would propel us into taking action. And we knew the word magic had to, had to go in it. We had a few options. And then once we, once we read out Feel the Magic, we just went, yeah, that's, that's it. Because a part of grief and recovery from grief, you really need to feel it. You need to feel that grief and that pain and, and that suffering to, to get to the other side. And then I guess that's one of the key components of, of our education and viral of our programs is you can't just avoid it, suppress it. and, and um, expect to move on from it you need to feel it and feel it whenever it rises um, but coming back to feel the magic i guess it was just a decision at the time to we're not going to stop until this becomes a household name that was our that was our goal from the get-go and we basically thought okay what we chose a family our first family to send to disneyland and we held a, our first fundraiser that was gosh when was that 2012 or 13 I think it was 2013, late 2013, and I just felt like that once the ball was rolling, it, it kind of gained momentum quickly because the cause resonated with people. It was a cause that actually, you know, both Christy and I would pinch ourselves and say, has no one ever 
done anything like this? There's no one addressing this issue. And in hindsight, there was, they're really small. It wasn't obvious for, for families to find it or discover how to support families. So we wanted to change it. We really wanted to change the way that grief or grieving kids, especially kids, were treated during this process of, of learning how to deal with big emotions and, and expect it to thrive later in life, you know, without going off the rails or using it as an excuse to, to not achieve their full potential. So, you know, it was a lot of door knocking, a lot of phone calls, a lot of hours. You know, Christy held the fort basically at home. She worked full time and ran the dance school and I worked, I labored, I sold, sold the business as we said and worked with a mate laboring and it was just a grind. It was, yeah, a nonstop grind that we, we lived and breathed it and it was passion. It was determination. It was, we just knew because there were some hard days. I don't, I want some, there was heaps, there was heaps of hard days, especially when I was used to earning a certain amount to basically nothing. And mind you, everything, all this lifestyle that we built up before mum had passed, that was still there. So there was a bit of sacrificing there, having to sell a few assets and yeah, but it was, yeah, and I guess it felt like whenever I was down, Christy was up, and whenever Christy was down, I, I was up, so we could support each other through that, and we just made it work. We we really just made it work to the point that one day, you know, magic does happen, and we, we met the right people along the way that, that believed in us and believed in what we were doing, and yeah, that's that's basically how we got it off the ground. We ended up sending 14 families in total to Disneyland. So that was a huge achievement. That's ginormous. Yeah, it was amazing. But then once, I think it was after we'd sent about three, what we noticed was that the three families were actually getting so much value out of being a little community with each other that we went, hang on a second, we could have so much more impact. How could we do that? How can we provide people with a community and that's where we thought of the idea of doing camps for kids and Camp Magic was born. It was our three-day signature camp. Can you tell us about that, Christy? Yeah, what sure, is, I'd love yeah. to. Um, so Camp Magic is our three-day camp for kids who uh, have lost a sibling, legal guardian or parent. And, you know, the whole idea of coming to Camp Magic is one, to reduce the isolation that everyone feels because every child that arrives thinks they're the only one that's going mm -hmm. through this. So if they just arrive at camp and meet another kid, then we've done our job. Already their well-being is going to be better just by knowing they're not alone. And then two, we really wanted to implement education throughout so that the children don't just come to camp and have a good time, they go home with you know, practical tools they can implement in their life that are going to support them to help them when they are having big emotions and also identify what emotions they're having, you know, give them real emotional literacy so they, they know, oh, I just yelled at my teacher for something really small, but what's really going on is, and they can identify what's happening for them. It's almost like that iceberg, isn't it? It's that, yes. you know, this is the behaviour we're seeing, but underneath the water, these are all the other. And and kids, we're trying to teach them emot emotional literacy, but mm. I think the parents think it's happening at school, the school thinks it's happening at home, and I think there's a big gap there. I don't think we're doing yeah. enough of it. Yeah, I think we're getting much more clued up We are as, as individuals, and I think it's becoming, you know, even the words emotional literacy put together, you know, 10 years ago would have not existed. Whereas we're getting much more clued up on that sort of thing. And 
Yeah, so the children come and then we teach them practical tools to take home, so how to self-regulate, self-soothe and bring those emotions down. So they're really empowered. I'm thinking as you're talking, that's one thing I'm sure many of our listeners are thinking right now, what are some of those practical tips that you're talking about and strategies? Are there some that you can mention on this podcast that might help our listeners if they have a child that's going through it or they have been? Yeah, absolutely. So they're not new ideas. Like this is not the things I'm going to share with you are not new ideas. They're things that are quite well known within the industry, but they really work. And for a child, it's so simple. It can be done any moment of any day. So the number one thing that we filter through all of our programs, we teach the kids, we teach the parents is our hand on heart exercise. So it's literally close your eyes, place your hand on your heart and take a few deep breaths, three in, four out. And if they're not in a space where they can close their eyes and do a deep breathing, that the the hand on the heart is the real anchor for them. So placing that warm hand on their heart and then, you know, taking the deep breath can help. And then from that space, after they've had a few deep breaths, we have a distress meter that we call it a distress meter, which is not a new concept. But basically at zero, you're calm, content, nothing's really bothering you. And at 10, you are completely out of control and you need help. So anywhere in between that, you come up with a number, there's no right or wrong. And then based on that number, the children are really well-versed in what to do. I love that you say that because when you put a number on it, when you measure it, you can manage it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing. When we get them to pick a number, they're like, okay, this is where I'm at. And then, you know, my my middle daughter, we do a lot of this work with her and she has it on her wall. And for each number, there's some strategies next to it because she says things like, mom, when I'm a seven, the breath work doesn't work for me. Yeah, sure. So she needs something a little bit more physical and a little bit more in that. So we actually draw out that, we call it thermometer and scale it and go, well, what does it look like? What does it feel like when you're a one and Mm. a five and a seven? And how is that different? And, you know, spend time in that space. And then, well, what can we do when we know that we're there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Kids are so good at making up stuff to do that brings them down. They do these things naturally, but then when you help them identify the correlation between a certain emotion that they're feeling based on the number And then say, here's what you do. You know, for example, a child who's feeling a four might say, okay, I need to get outside and go for a walk with my dog. At two, maybe I'm cool. I've I've got it handled. At five, I need mum to give me a hug. But we always say to the kids, if you're a seven, it's out of your control. So from seven and above, you need to get a a trusted adult to help you bring your emotions down. You know, so we're empowering them at the lower end and then also encourage them to seek help. So fabulous that you say that. And also I think what's really important here is that the adults know what that thermometer means as well, you know, and they know what works for the kids because we know, I know I can only speak for myself in this scenario, but sometimes I feel really frustrated and angry and I said, and I can't remember what strategies work for me and I'm a therapist. Like, and I forget. So how can I expect my children to remember all the time, even though we've done this? And and that's what I imagine you do in this camp is it's about repetition as well and having those conversations over and over and weaving them into our everyday life. Mm. I also will say Feel the Magic, not only does it provide great support and education and, and 
you know, tricks to, to getting through your, your grief, but it's community. And I think that's why Feel the Magic has been so successful. It's, we've developed this community that is, for some kids and even some volunteers, it's like family. And mm. we can never lose sight of that because it's like anyone. If you're a blind kid or a deaf kid or a, you have a child with special needs, if you connect with another parent or that child connects with another child who is experiencing exactly what you're going through, you, you've, got a, you've got a deeper bond, and deeper than most, most of your, I guess, networks because they get it on a different level. And so mm. that's, that's the special thing about Camp, Camp Mobile Field of Magic, I should say. It's, it's family and it's community and it's supportive and it really, you know, you feel like you're not alone anymore. And that's uh, overall, I personally believe that's, that's the ultimate support network for, the, for these kids. You know, once they, once they don't feel alone, they feel supported and then they provide them with the greatest uh, grief education experience, then, you know, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's a great service. We used to run a very similar camp. Um, it was called Copney Camp for Kids of Parents with Mental Illness. And it was, it sounds very similar. And it was providing that connection piece, like people, place and purpose. Mm. So, you know, who are yep. the people we're connected to? Where's the place we go that's removed from our everyday? And then, um, what's our purpose or what, what can, what are the steps we can take to kind of move forwards or, or open another chapter or, and you said that there was the camp, but it sounds like there's other services as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we had yeah. Camp Magic was our signature camp. We had always talked about introducing other programs and then COVID threw us in the deep end because we could no longer <laughs> do the face-to-face stuff. So we had time and we had the space to create the new we had the parent and guardian workshop. So going back to what you said earlier, Ali, we realized that, you know, we're changing these kids' lives and then they would go home to parents who, would, who wouldn't really understand what they were talking about. So we created the parent and guardian workshop to educate them on what was going on and what we're doing with their children. <laughs> children you're both so clever like can I just stop for a moment and own this space like I did years and years of study and I it took me a long time to learn this and what you guys have done and created is phenomenal thank Thank you you. it's been a huge collaboration like James and I have been the leaders within the organization but I have to say we have attracted the most amazing people, volunteers. So most of the people that contribute to Feel the Magic are volunteers and it's only been in the last sort of 18 months our team has grown quite large. But we just we just had people that were so committed and so happy to give feedback and I think for us to accept it as well, we were just happy to hear. We just always wanted to make it better. So any suggestion was like really well considered and implemented where we could so that people who come on camp feel safe, they feel heard, they get to contribute parts of themselves. And, you know, our original volunteers really do feel, you know, some ownership over our programs and our, their contribution towards feeling the magic to where it is today. Because, you know, without them, we couldn't be here at all. And I will say a plug for James too. He was the one on the grind getting money in the door for us because without that, we wouldn't have been able to deliver camps. So he was the one that would commute, you know, make all the connections corporately and with philanthropists and go out speaking and talking about Feel the Magic, which really then supported all of the other people to do 
the work as well. It's a credit to you both because people come because they believe in what you believe in. You know, mm. when you say you came across these amazing people, they were attracted to you because of what you were doing. Just listening to you both talk, there is so much passion and purpose and drive just even listening to you both speak. Like it's so crystal clear how you've gotten to where you've got to. This is what this podcast is about, how from adversity magic happens, you know, yeah. um, and this is what we're talking about. Like I wish you didn't have to go through it and it would like – I want to swear, like it was shit and that doesn't even do it justice, right? Like no one should have to go through that. But now look at the lives that you've touched and the impact that you've had um, for a long time because of this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, you know, I, I do, or during my time with Feel the Magic, I often reflected on my mum and I do personally believe it was her, it may sound a bit, bit weird, but I, I honestly believe that mum, you know, was happy to go to make me wake up to myself because she she knew I wasn't that happy doing what I was doing, mm. and that that gives me not only gratitude but it, it puts me at ease because I feel like I've I've not wasted that ultimate sacrifice. Want to hear a uh, very spooky story? Yeah. So when Mum passed, we had all of her stuff in our garage. It was floor to ceiling jam packed with um, her boxes and furniture and all that sort of stuff, and I, I couldn't even look in there for the first. I don't know, 18 months, two years. I couldn't, I'd couldn't. I'd try and I'd go in there and it just it was too hard. And then one day I went in there to get something and I found my, um, when you're born, the little bracelet they put on you mm. that, that the hospital give you with your details and your time you're born and that, and that sort of stuff. So mum died exactly the same time she gave birth to me 31 years earlier. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it was in that, that was almost a part of my, rebuild phase because i mm. felt like wow this is that's quite spooky right so she 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 gave birth to me 31 years earlier and died exactly the same time 31 years later that yeah and you know and then the fact she died on my birthday and there was this whole so much right like the whole lot you know so just much. wrapping around it yeah what sense do you make of that i i knew that i i knew that there was there was more to this in that moment i actually said there's more to this than meets the eye i knew i knew something had to come of this. This this was just severely unfair. What what happened to us? And um, but when when I saw the dates, I was like, wow, this is, you know, that's a sign from you know a higher power or a, a higher mm. being because that was, yeah, that was quite um, freaky but beautiful at the same time. So I, I I often reflect on that and 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 I'm thankful that I didn't waste that opportunity because the way I was a little bit earlier, you know, hating the world and and struggling. Uh, I could have been doing that for the rest of my life. I could have stayed at the mm -hmm. sign shop and did that for the rest of my life. And I think that for the people listening, I guess if you're sitting out there and you're feeling really stuck, I guess that's one thing that we can take away from this podcast is change can happen. You know, it doesn't make it easy. And sometimes you don't know what it's going to look like going forwards. You know, it's not yeah. always like we heard for both of you. You decided to sell without knowing what was next. I mean, that's a really important message. Yeah, and look for the signs. I think there's signs all around us and I think it's how present you are to how obvious the signs around you are. Can you talk to us about what you mean when you say signs? So like that to me, that finding the, the, the hospital bracelet from when I was a baby, to mm. me that was a, that was a huge sign. The thought in Disneyland of supporting kids who are grieving, that was a sign. Christy almost slapping me in the face to sell my business, that was a sign, you know, whereas I could have said, no, I'm not selling it, how are we going to pay for everything, blah, 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 and it probably would have ended us because I was just I was just a miserable 
bastard. <laughs> you know what was another sign? So maybe about four years earlier, cause I, I had a dance school and I had this beautiful family come to the studio, come to the studio, and the most beautiful, cute little five-year-old started coming to lessons. But she used to come with another mother, and the other mother had said to me, "Oh, I'm bringing her name's Megan." I'm bringing Megan to dance class because her mum can't bring her because she works full time and Megan's lost her dad. And I'm trying to help her out so that Megan can do afternoon activities. And I just remember looking at this little girl and thinking she was the most beautiful, gorgeous little thing and feeling heartbroken that she'd lost her dad and she also had two older sisters and I had gone home and told James the story, oh, this beautiful little kid and blah, 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 and he was so touched by me saying that that he thought about it and asked me about it again and, like, to me that's almost like years later when I look back at that moment, that was a sign mm. to say, hey, we're, you know, that's the kind of direction. And that family ended up being the one that we invited to go to Disneyland first. So. Oh you know, a few, a few oh, must have been four years later that we sat the mum down. So the little girl had come to dance class for the whole year and then I didn't get to meet her mum until the end of year concert and I met her two sisters as well and it was a beautiful meeting too because I just remember thinking, oh, wow, um, I haven't met you all year, which is not common that I wouldn't meet a parent mm. and her two older sisters were just the most adorable things and they were both really, after seeing the concert, wanted to now come to dance class as well. And they become regular dance students and so they just seem like the most obvious Choice for the, to start it off. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering because you both have a lot of experience in this space and I'm thinking about someone that has is going through grief now that's listening to this podcast, you know, do you have any advice for them, whether it be that they've lost a child or a partner or someone close to them, someone they love, you know, because it can feel, as we've discussed, very isolating. But if it's the first time you're grieving, it's like there's this road and you don't know where the map is to show you where you're going. Like I think as unfortunately as we experience more and more grief, it becomes familiar doesn't get easier, yeah. but it becomes familiar. But when you yeah. first lose someone for the first time in your life, it's just, where do I go? What do I do? I don't even know what this feeling is and it's never, ever going to go away. Well, I guess from a, from a male's point of view, you're never, ever going to run, run away from it. I think really address it. Apart from the obvious of, of reaching out in the field of magic, especially if, if you've got a family, I would join community groups on Facebook, connect with others who know exactly what you're going through and you'll find peace knowing that other people understand what you're going through. And just on that one, before we go on from that one, because I can imagine someone will be sitting there thinking, I don't want to talk to anyone, right? Like I don't even have the energy to get dressed in the morning and you're telling me I need to pick up the phone to someone I don't know? Yeah, I, I would. It depends. I guess if, if they don't want to talk to anyone, that's that's cool as well. Just when you're ready, don't do it alone. You know, you don't have to talk to anyone, but when you are ready, I advise anyone to talk to anyone mm -hmm. because sometimes you feel comfortable talking to an absolute stranger, being your, your true vulnerable self over talking to your best mate because they probably don't know how to help you either. Mm. Yeah, that would be my only advice is is don't keep it to yourself, don't isolate, don't self-medicate. That's another big one. Don't self-medicate yes. whether that be drugs, alcohol or even work. 
get out there and you know you've got a, still got a life to live and, and connect with those who can support you through this. And Christy, have you got another hour? <laughs> I know, I know. We can, but we've got okay. time. <laughs> no, I've got quite a few tips. I mean, I've also got tips for people who might be sitting back and watching someone grieving. So. Oh, yes. Can, love, let's do I'd both. I'd love to do both. Yes, yes we so. totally can. <laughs> I run this podcast, so, you know, yeah. we can totally do whatever Great. we want. <laughs> I think it's a good conversation, though, because I yeah. know I've experienced this a lot lately with some people around me and trying to have these conversations. And I sometimes feel like I'm the only voice saying it. So having yeah. someone else say it's really important as well. So I think the number one thing is to normalize grief experience. So I know when I'm speaking to either mothers or fathers who are inquiring about our programs, then they're just shocked to hear that other people are going through the same thing. So I think it's really important to normalize all of the different things that can happen to you when you're grieving. Like some people overeat, some people lose their appetite completely. They can't think straight. So they're constantly losing their train of thought, which makes, you know, doing their regular job really difficult, remembering simple things that you need to do just as life admin, those kinds of things, normalizing that you are, you you know, your brain actually is in flight, fight or freeze. And so that can stop you from being able to sleep properly. It increases your anxiety. It can send you into depression. Just normalizing the fact that, yes, all of these things are going to happen to you, not just mentally, but physically, you know, people, your immunity gets low, so you can get really sick. So you're quite susceptible to different bugs and things like that. So your patience wears thin. And what also can happen is your mind opens up to what's really important in life. So when your friend's sitting having coffee with you going, oh my God, that person nearly ran me off the road and I didn't like that, this person's thinking, well, my husband just died. So, yes. you know, like the perspective. Absolutely, yeah. The perspective on life changes. Um, and that creates a gap. That creates a gap in that conversation when one person's talking about something that feels really big and important to them and the other person's lost someone, mm. there's just this big void that happens between those two people. And they'll isolate themselves. So what they can do for themselves when they're feeling all of those things is number one, not beat themselves up, go, oh, actually this is normal. It's okay that I feel all of these things. Two, it's really important not to suppress any of those emotions. So one of our mottos at Feel the Magic is you've got to feel it to heal it. We had that on the podcast last week. (laughs) Oh, did you? <laughs> you got to feel it to heal it. Yes. You do. You absolutely do. So if you feel like going and laying in bed and um, watching Netflix, then do it. If you, it's, you know, it's not a good time to start a business or do anything that's super life-changing, like just allow yourself to heal. Except in your case, because you guys did something that was absolutely phenomenal off that space. It was a couple of years later. So it wasn't yeah. in the immediate time. Don't make any big decisions in that moment, I think is what you're saying. You know, yeah. it's like you might feel like you want to make big life changes, but perhaps, you know, just just bubble it for a little while, put a boundary around it, four weeks, six mm. weeks, three months, whatever it is for you. But, you know, you can still make that decision, but just give yourself the space. But sometimes they're thrown into positions where they need to make yes. big decisions. Like yeah. a lot of the 
the mums that I speak to, maybe the father was the breadwinner or Mm. they have to go back to work. So there are things that they have to do. So what I would say is ask for help Mm. for practical things. So if you don't want to sit down and talk about how you're feeling or talk about, you know, the person who's died, then ask your immediate friends for practical help. Hey, can you pick up the kids for me for the next six months from school on a Tuesday? Think about who's in your circle of friends that might be good with finances and reach out. It might be someone really removed, but, you know, nine times out of 10 people are really willing to help because the people surrounding you want to help. They just don't know how. So if you can be really specific and say, hey, I... I've got to sell my house and I don't know what I'm doing or whatever it is, if there are big decisions, ask for help. It's okay to seek mental health advice. So, you know, go to your GP, get your 10 free psychologist appointments or counselling appointments. There's an amazing website that I spruik all the time called We Listen and it's a you can access your Medicare mental health appointments for free so there's no gap to pay it is delivered via zoom but you know it's which is really convenient for a person who's grieving because they don't have to wait six months for a an appointment and there's no gap I'm glad you said that because I've had two people this week dm me on challenges that change us on our facebook group asking for where they can get some services on zoom Mm. so it's really helpful to know those that might be something we can put in the show notes so it's we Mm. listen w-e-l-y-s-n and also I just want to add in on that Christy because we you, you talked about it but I just want to highlight this little part is that when we say you can fall into depressive it can either be a depressive episode or depression and also knowing I think there's another side of the coin that's important here is that you can also just have situational depression and I say to people you know it's okay to feel depressed when you've lost someone mm. like it is okay to be in that space it's if it stays around and it starts impacting your everyday functioning over a period of time that I start to get more concerned. So there's that balance and I think sometimes we don't know and that's when we can reach out and ask for help or ask someone the question that might be able to let us know whether it is situational to what's going on or is it something that we can find other strategies that will help or is it something that's even leveled up again and we actually do need to take it as a, it's, that we're slipping into depression. Absolutely. And I think mm. connecting with other people who are in a similar situation will really help boost that. There's amazing services if you've lost someone by suicide. There's an amazing organisation called Standby and they will give you a peer support person to help you through. So that might be someone you can call, I'm really struggling today with X, Y and Z and that person's already gone through what you've been through without having to do appointments with people and I think it's just really important to find other people like you. And, you know, these days finding groups on Facebook and following people on Instagram can be a really great way to connect in with that. Reading books, listening to podcasts, Mm. there's lots of information out there. And then for anyone who's watching someone grieving and you don't know how to approach it, I think the number one thing is to... Just know that being there for someone in the sense that 
Like if you don't have it in you to be an emotional support, do the old cliche of giving food or helping that person with the kids with practical things like mowing the lawns or picking the kids up from school is always a a good one, cooking healthy meals. And then always saying to the person, do you want to go for coffee? But preface it with, I know you probably don't, but do you want to get outside? I know you're not feeling great, but I'm here. And if you want to talk about it, we can. If you don't, I'm happy to just talk about any old crap as well. I think it's good to, but just saying nothing is so hurtful and so debilitating. Saying something, even if you get it wrong, is better than nothing. And just say, hey, I don't know how to deal with this situation. Can you help? tell me how I can help you? Yeah. Or and even how just are sending- you today? Saying to yes. them, how are you today? How are you going because today? How are you going today? Because obviously they're not going great. So... Yeah. But I think Same. that's what people fear, right? It's like mm. if I ask them how they're going, what if they what if they say not well? Like mm. I think sometimes that's what stops people asking it. Absolutely. And and my question to you is, well, what, do, what? So what if they say they're not going well? It's okay for them to say they're not going well. It's okay for you not to know what to say to that. It's okay for you just to hold space. It's okay yes. for you to say, I'm here, or that shit, or I don't know what to say always catch myself saying, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Like I think I've said it to both of you a few times this podcast, <laughs> you know. Yeah. The other one is is I always send a little message and say, you don't need to reply to this. I just want you to know I'm thinking of mm. you. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Um, perfect. Honestly, mm. that is perfect because sometimes they might respond to you three weeks later and they mm. know that that's okay with you because mm-hmm. you've said you've prefaced it with you don't have to respond. And James, do you have an opinion on, like, I tend to ask people, you know, to talk about the person they've just lost, if that's what they're comfortable so that, because sometimes it's like, you do want to share the beautiful things about them or what you loved about them, or, you know, I don't know if that's your experience, but is that something that you would also suggest if it's the right space and the right time? Oh, 100%. It's something I probably wouldn't have done in the past. But since starting Feel the Magic, absolutely. You know, we, we have a cake even now. What are we now? 12 years on? We have a cake with our two boys for mum's birthday, then dad's birthday, mm. and even Corey's birthday. So we have a cake just to celebrate. Because I want my boys to know that they they do have a nana. She's just not here with us anymore. But absolutely, I'll be, I'll be talking about my mum till the cows come home. I, I love talking about it. I, I want my boys to, to ask questions about her. Um, yeah, I think absolutely. You don't want it to be a taboo topic, right? Like you're like, yes, yeah. ask me. <laughs> like yeah, they're yeah. not here, but I haven't forgotten them, you know? Like That's right. I still love them as much as the day I did when they were standing next to me. That's right. And I think, you know, I guess for me, I think the day that I'm not here, I want I want people talking about me. <laughs> mm. You know, I want, my bo- I want my boys to remember the good times that, that they have with me and I don't want to be forgotten. That's a great way to think about it though. Like that's a great way to think about it if people aren't sure about whether they should ask or not. Think about do you want people to not mention your name again? Like that that's a really yeah. nice way that we can we can think about it. The question that I would love to get your, both of your opinions on is time frame. Now you would have heard lots of people ask this. It's like should I – I think we even heard you say it earlier in the podcast, I should be over this or I should have moved on or there's lots of shoulds yeah. and there's lots of pressure around how long. What would you say to that? So for me personally, I can only go off my experience. However, I personally feel that 
my original thought was once the funeral's over, because that's what happened with dad's funeral. Once the funeral was over, that's a bloody tough day. That that's the hardest thing you're going to have to deal with. And then you move forward. That's exactly what happened with my dad's death. With mum's death, I reckon it was a good two years before I even felt like I was somewhat normal again. So that was my experience, two years. It may not be the same for everyone. However, grief has no time frame, I believe. You know, there's, there's even times now where I, I think of mum more when my boys were born, you know, 2018 and 2020, there was a moment of sadness because mum or dad weren't here to okay. hold them or see them. And then that leads into guilt because I thought, oh, I didn't give my parents grandchildren. You know, all mm. these sorts of things. So grief truly lasts forever. However, for me personally, and it might be different for you or Christy or whoever, for me it was that two-year period where it was it was painful. It was mm. it was um, quite mentally you're just messy. And then Christy said it earlier, you, you're foggy, you don't know where to go to. And but if you can just be kind to yourself until you are ready to, to you know, get out there and, and, and live your life, then do that. Christy, what are you thinking as you're listening? I think it's a, a bit of a myth around, you know, time frames. We talk to the kids about, you know, grief being in a bit of a linear slash circular motion in that we we use the analogy of the seasons to dissect and unpack their grief journey. So, you know, if grief starts in autumn when, you know, everything's stripped bare, everything's changed, nothing will ever be the same again, which is also the time, usually around the time when they've lost that person. And then we talk to them about how after the funeral, generally autumn finishes and you move into a winter stage. So, you know, winter is the time when all of that extra support that was around and all of the things that were happening is gone and you're just left to your own devices stuck in this grief and it's just really messy. That's winter. From winter you then move into spring where there's a little bit more hope. The trees are sort of re-blossoming and you might have days where you feel yourself again, you feel different, you're not stuck in that sadness or grief every day and then summer's that time when you have assimilated your new normal so you've you've come through all of the seasons you're in summer and you've kind of this there's a level of acceptance around what's happened now that journey from winter to summer could happen in a six months period or it could happen over 12 years like there's no standard time and you could actually get to summer and then go back to winter an hour later so that it's always happening, like it's never going away. It's how we accept what's happened, integrate it back into our new normal and then, you know, not move. It's, it's not moving forward but it's like living life as that being part of it. It's integrating it. So, you know, we could have four seasons in one day. Mm. So that's just how we analogise it for the kids so that they have an understanding. But I think it's a really good metaphor for life because, yeah, we do have days where we feel like we're we're right back into autumn and winter where we just can't even get out of bed. And the very next day we're, we're back at life and doing our thing and 
as we get older and especially for kids moving, like as they get older, they have moments where they will re-experience the grief quite heavily. So it might be at a time when they're walking down the aisle and they don't have their dad or it might be when they graduate school or they get their award at swimming lessons and there's no one, dad or mum's not there to show. So it never goes away. I just, just wanted to share a thought. I, for far too long I've, I've heard a lot of kids or parents just mention something about their child's teachers. I think the greatest lesson for a teacher is that they need to understand that there's no time frame around grief because, you know, for instance, I won't mention names, but there's a, there was a child that was misbehaving in class and the teacher rang the parent to find out was there anything going on with the child because of his behaviour. And the mother said, yes, he's lost his dad. She says, I'm aware of that, but is there anything else going on? <laughs> She's like, the dad's passed away. Like, <laughs> that's, that is what's going on. Yeah. So, so teachers, teachers can have a dramatic and long-term effect on, on these kids, both in a positive and negative way. And if you're, if you're, uneducated, if you're a teacher and you're uneducated around the grieving process and how to handle a child that has lost a mum, dad, or brother or sister, and treat that child as a naughty child, let's say six, 12 months after a death, then you're not doing your job right. And I think you really need, I think schools need to understand that it's not just a clear cut process, there's process, there's ways on supporting children to come back to their original selves, but they just need that time to, I guess, in a way, lose themselves and rediscover themselves, if that makes, if that makes any sense. But they're mm. just going full circle, right? So, but if you're belittling that child, you're not doing your job. And I'm just, there's a couple of things that I'm thinking about. One is if the teacher hasn't experienced grief themselves, it's so foreign, right? Like they may not even understand what those feelings could feel like and how overwhelming they can feel at times when yesterday, yesterday they weren't even there. And the second thing I'm thinking about is actually, you know, we're going through it. We're in the thick of it at the moment, which most of our listeners know, but we have one of my eldest daughter gets sick and it's the other two that are vibrating. You know, it's the other two kids in the family that are struggling the most at the moment just in this week. And I have to remind myself that they're going through it too, even though they're walking a different path. Like, yeah. And I think it's easy to forget that, that everyone's going through it in a different way at a different time, even in the same family. Just acknowledging that someone's going through something, like it doesn't excuse the behaviour for that child who was misbehaving. Yes, they still need to be pulled into line and, you know, some discipline provided but also acknowledgement that hey you're having a tough time is there anything I can do just acknowledging the emotions and the behavior can have a huge impact and may not change it in the immediate future but if we over time acknowledge 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 we're going to see um, a change in behavior Mm. I could talk to both of you all day about this. I feel like we, I feel like I would love to just do a whole podcast on strategies, right? Like if nothing else, just the strategies for the kids and then the strategies for the parents. What I am hearing though is that these strategies that we're talking about, you said it, Christy, it's like we're not creating anything new here. I think if we can all take something from this podcast, it's we've got to practice them. A, we've got to know what they are and B, we've got to practice them. And you want to practice them 
for when you need them, not in the moment that you need them. So, you know, you want to be starting to do these things regularly. If you think about a 100-meter sprinter, they train for months, if not years, or a decade for their 100-meter race. We don't put someone in the Olympics in the 100-meter start line that hasn't done any training and expect them to do brilliantly. So, our emotional well-being is the same, and I think sometimes we don't give it enough time, enough planning. We don't show up for ourselves in that space. And so taking the time out to work out, if you don't know what these strategies are, you are not alone. (laughs) Like, you know, you're not alone, but you can research them and you can find them out. You can look on Feel the Magic website. You can contact us. We'll put them up in the Challenges That Change Us Facebook group. Like we are all, the three of us are here to help you. All three of us will put our hands up and say, this is why we do what we do. We walk in this world to help others and have an impact. And so we sometimes don't know what you need from us. And if you reach out and ask the question, if we don't know, we'll ask someone else. We may have the contact that you don't have that can get you the information that you might be looking for. It's probably a good time to mention that there's an amazing service called Griefline. And they're open 12 hours a day. So for a person who's grieving that doesn't have anyone to talk to and they desperately want to, that's a good free service that you can access. They have online chat as well. But I think it's important to know that sometimes just sitting with someone and talking, chewing the fat, like it might not be about what's happening, just connecting with someone is really important. So if you don't have someone, then Griefline is a really, really good resource. And then if you do need that extra support too, they can refer you and and give you access to more support and resources as well. And is there something that I haven't asked you both that you would really like to share with the audience? I think there's there's lessons that we've learned and mistakes that we've made as founders along the way. And I think we can sum it up. I don't know what you think, Christy, but I think if someone comes to me now and, and asks, I've got this idea, I would say really do your research and find out if there's others doing it out there. Look to collaborate first and treat it as though becoming a charity is you know is your last resort see if you can make it a social enterprise or see if you can make it something else because the charity game it is tough and james i know we didn't get to it in this podcast and i'd really love to and we'll have to get you back on as a guest because what you're talking about there would be a great conversation because it comes with its own challenges right Yep. We might organize that as a separate podcast and we can go deep okay. into exactly that. Anything you want to discuss, Christy? So we have our three-day Camp Magic program, which is for children aged 7 to 17. They come to a camp and they're actually matched with one-to-one with an adult mentor. Now that mentor, we train them and fully prepare them and do you know all their checks and things like that, but they're not a professional in the field. Literally their job is to stand beside the child throughout the whole journey as a support person. So they're not there to give advice or, you know, like tell them what to do. They're just there to be that person, that constant person that's there. We break them up into groups of different age groups. So they're always with kids who are a similar age and developmental stage. So that's our three-day camp and that delves really deep into their grief journey along the seasons. They unpack it and get strategies and they also do some recreational type things. So they'll do rock climbing and archery and stuff like that. So they literally come deal with their grief. So like one minute they'll be crying about what's happened and five minutes later they're out kicking a football. So 
kids do grief really well and Camp Magic supports that. Then we have our virtual camp called Healthy Grieving Program and it's a really nice starting point for any kids who are maybe having some separation anxiety, which is a really common trait of a child who's suffered bereavement. So they can come virtually, they jump on Zoom, we send them this beautiful resource box that has their workbook and craft things and all of the stuff they need to do the activities and it's run on a weekend. So it's really easy for them to access. And for the younger kids, they do it with their parents so or guardian. Then we have our family day camp, which is created again for those kids that might be having some anxiety or even the parents having anxiety around leaving their kids for two and a half days and they can come for one day to learn, you know, surface level some of our tools. Mainly the idea is that they connect with other kids and other families. Um, It's a really lighthearted day but it's kind of a preparation for them to come to other programs. Then we have our... Let's Talk Suicide program, which is specifically designed for children bereaved by suicide. So we wanted it to complement all of our other programs because children bereaved by suicide have just this added layer of trauma that we help them address. So that's delivered virtually online as well so anyone in Australia can access it and it's for children aged 7 to 17. And then we piloted at the start of this year our new grad camp. So grad camp is for kids aged 16 to 19 who are just aging out of Camp Magic and our other programs. And it's designed for them to, one, build a community of other kids so that when they leave our camps they've got this really tight-knit community of teens and peers We do future thinking or forward thinking activities with them, you know, goal setting and we talk to them about other organisations that they can access beyond us, so for mental health specifically, and we recap any of the stuff that we've done with our other programs and that was hugely successful. So we're running that again, which is very exciting because it's like the finishing piece for those kids coming through camps because, you know, we have kids who come regularly so they come once a year or they keep re-engaging with us because they just love what we do so and if someone's out there thinking what's your time frame on this so if they've lost someone five years ago and this is the first time they're hearing about you Mm -hmm. can they still reach out oh absolutely yeah there's no time frame we do have a general sit like you know we like it to be about six months after post the death just to help the child assimilate the information but it's not a hard and fast rule so we do negotiate those things with our clinical director and the family to see if they're ready when you say six months you mean that's the post the the death you mean as in they could still come if it was five years later you're talking about if they've just lost someone yesterday maybe they might need a bit more time just to clarify yeah 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 Good. Yeah. But we have children, you know, just like me who lost their dad when they were two. So they've never really known them, but they still come and they address their grief because it's real. It's there. They still miss them every day. So yeah, any child's invited. 
Well, James and Christy, like I said, I could keep asking a hundred questions and I really do want to, but I guess we always like to finish the podcast with something that kind of makes us smile and because we've been talking about some pretty heavy topics, but also topics that are close to your heart, you know, and I think it never gets easier talking about it. And I think that's one thing that I want to acknowledge for both of you, like coming on and talking about your own personal grief. It is hard, even if you've been doing it publicly or for a few years, I don't know that it gets easier. So thank you for coming on to share your story. What I would like to ask you both is, is there someone in your world or something in your world that truly makes you belly laugh? Like I always imagine that laughing from right down the hallway or across the footy field, or, you know, when you walk into a room and you hear that laugh, that's so contagious that you just laugh yourself. Is there someone or something in your world that does that for you? (laughs) We actually talked about this question and James looked at me last night and he's like, it's obviously me, right? I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, James, it definitely is. I picked up on that today. <laughs> it actually it actually is. You are right. He definitely makes me laugh, always has, probably why we're still married. But also I have to say my middle son is makes me laugh every single day too. He's a very quirky child. (laughs) So, yeah, I think I'm surrounded by belly laughs every day, which is really beautiful. Can I just add, I know it's kind of off topic, but it's just nice to share that at camp we have this most beautiful memorial service on a Saturday night. So the children come with messages to their loved ones, stand around a fire and it's, absolutely heartbreaking to watch because you've just got you know maybe 40 to 60 kids in tears it's gonna make me cry listening to you oh it is it's (laughs) it's just the most beautiful thing and we play you know we play really emotional music as a background thing because we're actually trying to induce the tears to come and then once we're finished we finish with our hand on heart exercise we take a deep breath and then we always finish with a share of we are, invite the children to share their favourite memory of their of their loved ones, and um, it's always about what makes them laugh. Mm. It's always the little things that they want to share. Like you know, my dad used to always fart, and <laughs> and then so everyone true, starts it's laughing. And it's true. Everyone starts laughing, and it just. You know, we've just had the saddest, most emotional moment and then everyone's laughing and I just love that. It's the best medicine. It's the best medicine. What about for you, James? Who makes you belly laugh if you're not allowed to say Christy because obviously. (laughs) Sure, sure. Can I just quickly add on to what what Christy just said then with the memorial service? I I guess for me, again, off topic but on topic, the greatest lesson I've learned, if I can give uh, the listeners one lesson that you learn from grieving kids is that, they don't care what their parent does or what their parent owns or what, how hard their parent works, if they're the CEO or if they're the janitor at a school. They don't care about all that. What they do care about is time with their lost loved one. So if they could have one thing back, it would be time with their loved one. And that's, that's one thing I've taken on board you know, as a father of two young boys. Um, that's something that I, will, I remind myself of daily that you know I can stress about money or work or or whatever it may be but it's time with your your children that that is most valued but on to on to making me laugh I love being an only child I used to always go to friends houses and watch the siblings 
you know, bicker and fight. I, I love watching my boys play together, but also get a huge belly laugh watching them fight. <laughs> and that's on cue. The boys have just walked in. If anyone can hear some noise in the background, yeah. it's like bang. Yeah. Here they are. The doors open. The kids are coming in behind yeah. you. Because <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's what they're fighting over is just pure ridiculous, and it, you yeah. just can't help but laugh. And you just go right. You know, it's yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's really good, really good. I thought I was doing so well not crying throughout this whole episode and then in these last three minutes I've just the tears are coming down my face with what both of you have said. So I just want to say thank you so much for giving up your time and coming on to help our guests and our listeners to work through some of the challenges that they experience in life and also, as you mentioned, Christy, earlier, work through challenges that someone in their world might be experiencing and how they can step up and and hold space in that area or have conversations with the people they care about the most. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we we absolutely love to share our story of Feel the Magic and, you know, the name of your podcast is exactly the type of thing that we want to teach our kids is that um, your challenges, you can turn them into something really special. If you connect with yourself, heal yourself, you can find things in your environment and in your world that, me it meant so that it meant something find the magic and also you guys are absolutely an example of that like look at what you've created from the heartbreak that you've experienced so thank you thanks for having us could you feel the warmth passion and commitment from this beautiful couple it is hard to believe that such adversity can lead to such magical moments I really resonated with the seasons analogy that Christy talked about. And if you've not picked up yet, I like every episode to provide actual real life strategies that may help you as the listener if you're going through a tough time. Today's episode had lots of tips and strategies. So I just want to say thank you to Christy and James. What a powerhouse couple, hey? Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.